welcome to the Practical Missions Podcast. I'm your host. A few months ago, a buddy of mine reached out to me and said, yo, I just met this incredible woman who co-authored a book called Sacred Siblings, Valuing One Another for the Great Commission. She's amazing. You have to have her on the pod. So I reached out to her and she was gracious enough to join me. I, Before I interviewed her, I read the book though. And I, to be honest, I was blown away by this book. I learned so much about being single on the field and about being married on the field and about misconceptions between those two and ways we can get around these misconceptions and deal with some of these issues. The book Sacred Siblings is so worth your reading and my guest today actually gave us a promo link. I didn't ask for this, but she graciously gave it to us. So the Practical Missions podcast listeners are going to get 25% off this book, either the e-version or the hardback. If you want to order it online, you're going to get 25% off by following the promo link in the show notes. I'll also put it on the website pmpod.org. You can go there and follow the links. This is super cool. It's the first time in the history of the Practical Missions podcast that we've been given a promo link. So take advantage of it. I really hope you enjoy the podcast today. I wish I could just sit here and talk about this book and the podcast you're about to listen, but maybe it's better if you just listen to it yourself. We start off our conversation by me asking my guest, to make the case for the book, what are the issues and misconceptions her and her co-author are trying to address? For me, my journey, uh, basically as a single missionary, has been a longer one. And I never wanted to be a poster child <laughs> for single missions. But it kind of happened over time as people kept saying, oh, you should talk to Susie about this. Or, And it was actually back in 2004, I believe, that I was asked to go to Australia to help with some recruiting things. And while I was down there, they, they had me signed up at this um, speaking engagement at a conference down there. And they said, oh, by the way, would you also speak on Wednesday night about singles and mission? And I was like whoa, what, mm. what would I say, you know? And and as I tried to prepare for that, I think, if anything, I realized I had more questions about it than I had answers. And I also realized that there wasn't a lot that was written about it. Um, a few years later, I came across um, the, the doctoral work of Dr. Barry Danilak, and he's really done the the, the big work, I would say, and, and historically even, and in our generation, he's the, the world's expert on this topic biblically. And he takes it um, from Genesis all the way to the end and, and looks all through scripture of how hmm. how God sees this. And, and I think for me, that was an aha moment because I think it was things that I felt God had been saying to me, but it was certainly never anything I ever heard in the church or in Christian circles and felt like there was some really big... Um, important things that helped me to see the whole body of Christ, not just singleness. And and so um, once I found Barry's work, I shared it around in multiple places. And uh, one of the dreams I had had a long time ago was that, wow, I wish some of the single workers could get together and figure out how we can help those along coming alongside, behind us, sorry. We act- ended up actually gathering seven people from different places in the world, mostly Europe, and um, and it just so happened that that theologian was available, Barry, and he came and and shared with us what he had been 
studying and learning and what he was doing his doctoral work around. And as he shared that with us, I think we all were deeply ministered to and began to really see our place in the body of Christ. But bigger than that, I think we saw the beauty of how this works with married, with single again, with all these different categories and and how, and why that that is so important in scripture. You know, we have a single savior mm. who never had children and um, and yet he's fully human, fully God, but he didn't have sex and he didn't have kids. Mm. And he didn't, you know, I mean, it's like, so what does that say about what we're teaching, especially in what's more and more become a world, at least where I live, feel like I live and work in a place called Corinth at times. Mm. And um, it's very decadent and it's very a sex centric culture. And the theocentric idea to really think about, you know, the fact that Jesus is single, there's something really big there that we haven't necessarily embraced. And I long to see uh, the body of Christ have a very high view of marriage and a high view of singleness because scripture clearly has that. Mm. And I think we've missed out on something. And and I think there's a lot of people that perhaps we've missed um, just in reaching for the family of God because they don't see the beauty of that. And they don't, I mean, I, I think it helps us in dealing with some of these newer issues, perhaps the things that are hot button issues mm. nowadays with the gender issues, the identity issues, um, the same sex marriage and issues and all of that. Had we had a stronger, a higher view of both, I think we could have invited people in a different way. And and I think even now it's, it's a very compelling picture of this spiritual family and how it operates together Mm. and so so um it was actually through some training times that we developed to help different agencies work through this that um i met um sue and don um they work with another large organization and sue had written some other books and she afterwards said you know this is just so important and she said i think i can think of several books that have been written on marriage and parenting cross-culturally. I've heard of one or two books, uh, maybe for singles serving cross-culturally, but she said, I don't know if I've ever read anything that talks about how we do this together. And so she said, I wonder if it's a paper or a pamphlet or a brochure or a book. (laughs) And so um, she invited me to work on the project with her. And that's when the idea was to get some real data so that we could actually sink into what some of the areas were where we were perhaps doing better than others. And and so we created this survey that had, I think it was about 30 questions on it. And we were able to get it um, p- participation from different continents. Uh, all the continents are represented and most continents are also represented um, as the workers or as the places they're working. And so it had a pretty broad breadth, um, 289 people responded. Wow. But beyond that, I think the real gold, uh, I mean, it was men and women, single and married. Um, we had some widows, um, divorces as well that responded, but we had a good cross-reference. We had at least participation from a, a good cross um, group of people. And that really gave us the data. But to me, the real gold came in. We asked um, on each of the questions if there was anything they'd like to say mm. about the particular issue. And we got 244 pages of Whoa. feedback. And that, that to me was the gold mine because that was the stories. That was, mm. that, that was, and so what we did is we, um, of those 30 questions, I think there were 16 of them 
that we saw a real rub or uh, disconnect between how people responded, especially married versus singles. There were a few that actually hit more on men versus women, but most of them were um, that we really experienced this and saw this so differently. And so that was where we mm. knew we needed to dig in. And, and there were some great, again, the feedback. One of the things that really showed us um, was that in some of these areas, we're actually doing a pretty good job. And all missions are trying, and a lot of churches are working a lot harder on this. Mm. But we just showed us there's a, some other areas that we could do better. And so that was really our desire in writing the book is that we'd like to see people start to have healthier conversations and thinking about this. Because we, we think it impacts how we reach the lost, how we go about doing ministry, how we live, um, and how we see um, people inside and outside the body of Christ. And so I think that's um, really what our message is. And, and I'm excited because God's really done some cool things with it and taken it to places that we never imagined. So, um, and, and again, I've seen overall people have responded with a hearty, wow, hmm. This gave me some things to think about, um, especially a lot of the male leadership mm, that are reading yeah. it. Um, they've said over and over, they've said, there were so many things that I just hadn't thought about before. Yeah. And, you know, the truth is all of us, we live life through our own lenses and in our own context. And so singles often miss what's happening for married peoples and, and families. We, yes, we grew up in a family, yet, but sometimes we don't realize some of the struggles and things they're wrestling with. Um, we tend to see things through, you know, our needs. And, and the same happens with married people, married with children. Some of them get so swamped with mm. um, just holding their things together that they never think beyond that. And so I think this is just a way that we can all step back and and look with a real holy curiosity toward one another and say, what is God up to in this person's life? And is, is God asking everyone to marry and have children? Is that it? We, we know lots of people who haven't been able to have children who have told us what mm. a blessing this has been for them because they had felt somehow like they were living more Old Testament uh, model in that about it being a curse and as opposed to actually God can use all this for to point to a kingdom reality. And so so that's really, in a nutshell, what we're trying to do with the book is unpack some deep theological ideas that are very practical and needed today mm. um, in his body around the world. And so, um, and trying to do it in a, yeah, what does this look like um, on the ground? How do we live it One out? One of the things I was surprised by with the book was how thorough it is. You guys cover a lot of ground, but also how relatable it is because you actually, a, a large, I don't know, maybe 50% of the book, maybe less than that, is actually the, res the, the survey respondents' comments. Is that right? Right, right, right. And that was that golden feedback. Um, it gave us a place to tell people's stories um, in an anonymous way. But the cool thing is, too, we found that readers, when they read it, like that, nobody feels threatened, mm. uh, but it, it invites people to say, oh, have I ever been that one in the story yeah. that really didn't understand or that have I ever treated someone? I mean, I've had singles and marrieds both say this really helped me see how much I wasn't loving um, my, my mm. teammate well or, 
or it helped me to have more compassion for people that weren't in my category mm. um, and to be less demanding that people always be meeting my needs or um, but it also just helped me to think beyond to think of the whole body of Christ in a different way many people I've been amazed grandparents who have told me this mm. helps me pray very differently for my grandchildren wow. I used to always pray one way, you know, and now I pray, God, whatever you have for them, the way you want them to point people to yourself. Um, this notion that our our calling is intimately linked with our stat, you know, whatever status we're in, be it single, married, with children, without children. All of those things are things God uses powerfully. Mm. And if you look, the, the thing for me that was an eye opener was looking at how much, you know, we look at Old Testament, New Testament, but do you realize it's really in the prophets that you see all the categories? We don't mm. think of that so much in the Old Testament. We think it was all kind of one way back then. Even then, God is using single people. Look at um, the different statuses of Isaiah, mm. married with two children. Um, and then we have um, Ezekiel, who loses his wife. We have um, Hosea, yeah. who is, uh, you know, has to deal with an unfaithful wife, takes his wife mm. back, a you know, divorce. And then you also have the single guys, um, Jeremiah and Daniel. And what's amazing is all of them, it's not by accident. Mm. God is using their story to point people to kingdom realities that other people mm. can't. And, and I think that's the big take home for all of us. Um, I really believe as we live this out, it will help us in reaching the lost, mm. first and foremost. And, and as we understand what we're inviting the, them into this incredible, diverse, spiritual family, we don't all have to be the same. And no matter what culture we come from, no matter what pressures, that God has a place for us in his body. And um, that that's really important, and I think it also helps um, to free married people, with or without children, to see their their family as something they can invite people into, mm. and um, and point people to Jesus as as they live that out. But singles also start to see their singleness as an opportunity to serve and to be much freer to serve and and go places sometimes where it's not necessarily smart to to go with families or little kids. Um, and so I just think, I think it's something of, instead of feeling like, I, I know for singles, many of them told us that they feel like they're sometimes second-class citizens. Mm. That can happen culturally or um, in the mission culture. This idea of second-class citizens, though, it's an interesting one. You know, I live in the Middle East, and they they actually say in Arabic, they say like when a son wants to get married, of course, marriage is a communal event. You know, it's not an individual uh, event. It's mm -hmm. uh, the parents are involved. The tribe yeah. is involved, whatever. But the, the son goes right. to his father uh, and he says, I want to finish the second half of my religion. Like, like marriage is so important that oh, you're wow. only considered like half a Muslim mm -hmm. until you actually get married. So I think there is, in, and I know I'm, nearly 40 years old i'm a single man and i am still in the kind of like single men's world like in the society i'm not a full adult and i think for yeah. some of our women they experience they experience that uh, as well in society which i think you were you were talking I think before we pushed record, you were talking about the uniqueness of Christianity in its value of singleness compared mm -hmm. to Judaism, Islam, mm -hmm. and so on. Can you uh, dial into that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, well, think about it. Um, 
It's interesting that um, at the center of Christianity, of course, is Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ lives, is God incarnate, come to earth, and he lives as a single man, Mm -hmm. not a married man with children, as I think it was the Da Vinci Code tried to (laughs) say that maybe he did have kids or whatever. No, but we know that scripture is very clear on that. Um, And yet, if you look also, um, it's actually the guy who did the work on the biblical theology of singleness, Mm -hmm. who really it was a... Um, digging into the biblical theology of the word offspring. Mm. And he looked at that through Old and New Testament, and offspring is the many and the one. It's such a big piece of the beginning of the people of Israel, as you know, and uh, he unpacks, uh, you know, why it was um, through the early covenants that if you did not have children, it was considered to be a mm. curse. Um, and then you, there's a big shift, though, that, that happens in Christ. You know, he turns everything on its head in the New Testament, and through his death and resurrection, you see suddenly all people are invited into relationship with mm. him. Now, you see that even in the Old Testament, though, because uh, he talks about the eunuchs yeah. and the um, barren woman. And there's some really powerful things happening in Isaiah, and and it one of the most powerful things is when Jesus from the cross it says as the Savior gives his life he sees as an offering for sin he sees his offspring mm. and it's one of those kind of obscure little passages that I think we just okay but wait a minute what's that he sees his offspring well who was he looking mm. at who is his offspring? We know Jesus didn't have physical mm. offspring. So what is that? And there's this whole notion of physical offspring versus spiritual offspring. And that's the whole point is Jesus is saying he uses physical family as his example in the beginning. They've got to, you know, grow a people. And there's an incredible thing happening there with the people of Israel. But then when you come, it's all about this new spiritual family that frankly, not all Jewish people are part of that, and and how suddenly now the non-Jewish people are also invited. There, there's a big thing happening there. Mm. And again, we see it in the Old Testament with people who become followers of the living God. Um, but there, there's something really big there with the suffering servant is a man who has never had children. Mm. He dies without physical children, but he actually... Uh, the whole thing is about the spiritual mm. children. And I think for me, that's the great equalizer that we see in the New Testament um, is how we are, you, you never see again the words, uh, be fruitful, fruitful and multiply. That's actually pretty rare, even in the Old mm. Testament. And yet many Christians base their whole theology of marriage on and single. Yeah, that's that. right. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's like, and yet the first time it's only really said um, to the birds and the mm. fish, you know. Um, and so it's never given again. You never see it in the New Testament. But what is the New Testament corollary to that? It is go and make disciples, mm. go and make spiritual mm. children, you know. And so this is where it's, I say, um, in, in the New Testament, we are all called, I don't care what your story is, what your background is, what your present status is, marital or parental, we are all called to make disciples mm. and advance his mm. kingdom. And so there's something really, really compelling about inv- and, and inviting them into this new family. What is that family? It's, it's a whole different mm. thing. It, it's it's all in Christ. And I think that's the thing that's so compelling in a place where I live. I, I said, I believe if we 
truly understood this and lived it out, it's much more compelling than what people say they want. They're looking for love in all the wrong places mm -hmm. and to say, no, God invites you to this holy family. You can be grafted into this family. You can be a part of it. You're a, you have something to offer. Um, you have something that will point mm -hmm. others to, to God. And, and so, so that, that's really powerful. And this idea that singles actually point people to God in a way that married don't. I mean, we all know what marriage represents mm. to the world, mm. right? We've heard probably 10,000 right. sermons on that. And it's good. That's a very good mm. thing. I don't know a Christian who couldn't tell mm. you that, or unless they're really a baby Christian and haven't gotten there yet. But most Christians know that and have heard it over and over. But can you tell me what a single person points mm. to? You Have you ever thought about that? And it really does point to Christ's sufficiency, mm. The fact that Jesus is enough, even if God never gives me these other things, he really is enough. We get to live that out in a way that points to God's sufficiency. Amen. And and then I think that we also point to this notion that we're not just living for today. Yes. That in we're waiting for consummation yes. in heaven at the wedding supper. And that there's something really powerful about that as well. That this isn't about the perfect life all that everybody gets has it all and nobody both sides have struggles mm. um and we tend to forget that you know i i know many married people who wish they were that's single, right yeah and i know married you know i know a lot of singles who are just oh so frustrated that god never mm. gave them that and i know many people who wish they could have children mm. single or married and and it's like well we can all have children mm. Um, spiritual children. And I think that's the other thing. I think the church has missed an opportunity to teach on that. You know, on Mother's Day and Father's mm. Day, we need to repurpose that for the church and remind them everybody on earth has a mother, a physical mother and father, regardless of the story of how that happened, if they knew their father, you know, whatever mm. it was, we know they all have one. We all have that in common. But um, this is beyond physical motherhood and fatherhood. Yes, that's to be honored, um, especially if they were honorable. And um, But at the same time, what do we do with, why don't we use that to remind people about discipleship? Mm. And you know what? Every Christian woman on the planet can be a spiritual mother, can nurture and see people come to Christ, can be giving her life to mm. others. Um, every Christian man on the planet can be a spiritual father and be a protector and one who invests his life in others. And, and just, mm. I mean, there's so much incredible stuff Amen. there. Amen, yeah. That, um, when we live it out, it's really beautiful. Yeah, you know? I think it's so beautiful to see how Christ reshapes and reforms our identity. Your identity is not primarily your marital status or your single status or your children or your barrenness That's in right. Christ. Your identity is Christ, no. which also helps. I know you guys have in the appendix in the appendix of your book, you have a little you have a little bit about like a little paragraph about kind of future issues that the church is going to be facing when it comes to gender, identity issue, trans issues, uh, gay mm -hmm. issues, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And this also speaks into those, doesn't it? Your mm -hmm. identity is far bigger yes. than your sexuality or your marital status or whatever it may be, yet your identity is in Jesus. We've been talking a lot about like kind of these, uh, uh, like from a theological perspective, which I'm very, very thankful for. But I would like to get maybe into some of the the stories and the issues that you guys tackle in your book as well. 
And I think one of the things that I, I love it actually, I love one of the things I really loved was reading the book and just seeing how the two groups of people see themselves so differently. So for example, you'd have like <laughs> one person would say like, I feel like married people get more attention or get more leadership attention or whatever it is than single people, you know? And then you guys flesh out what the responses are to that. Were there any of these issues that kind of stood out to you? Were there any, do you have any like favorite issues? I tell you, I think just the notion of sacred siblings, that whole thing about why is it that, you know, God calls us to live in spiritual family. That means we're brothers and sisters. We all would agree with that on paper and even in our minds. But what does that look like? And especially I know in some countries where you have to be so careful about any appearance of, you know, th this assumption that any time mm. a man or a woman have any interaction, that something's yeah, going yeah. on that's not appropriate. Um, you know, that is, that is just so damaging. Mm. And so how do you as Christians ever show what the family of God mm. is like? If you're not even allowed to be around each other or to, and so how do we care for our sisters and brothers? I remember um, one of my teammates years ago said to me, Susie, you, you need to help us um, learn how to deal with singles. <laughs> I remember thinking, well, and, and I, and I thought about it and I thought, well, first of all, you don't have to it's deal with us. You know? I mean, um, it, it's, it's not rocket science, right? Um, but, you know, I, I, I realized, I said, this man actually had four daughters and a son. And I said, how would mm. you want your daughter treated or your sister mm. or even your mom if she was on a team somewhere, you know? And um, how would you want your son to be treated? How? And it was like, for him, it was an aha mm. moment. He just said, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. And yet it's so easy when he looks at his own children. Well, of course I want them treated with respect and with love and with care. Well, that's that's really what Jesus calls us to to do in the church is to give that love, respect, and honor to one another. And so how do if we're not doing that, if sometimes we come into culture, Sue talks about this a lot because she works in a setting similar to mm. yours. And um, she said, you know, there's been she says, I wonder if sometime we've been so quick to adopt whatever rules there are in society mm. so as not to get in trouble to where, you know, this whole, we take that verse from Paul would be very careful and have, you know, avoid uh, all appearance of evil. But if you follow what he says beyond that, he says, but practice this, this, mm. this, this, and this, do we, do we just stop mm. there and say, well, we'll just make sure we never get ourselves in any trouble, but how do we go about honoring, loving, caring wow. for one another? And she said, Sir, surely God has made us creative people because he is ultimately the creator. So we must be creative, right? So, surely he can help us to creatively find some new ways to do this, to go counter culture, mm. because how else otherwise do they ever see what Christian culture looks mm. like? If we just go into um, a culture that is pretty godless, almost all cultures are nowadays. And if, if we can't live this out in some way that speaks, then um, that can be seen, then what is the point? You know, it, it's, it's amazing to me. If you look at what Jesus says on the cross, when they, you know, who does he put in charge of his mother? It's, it's, it's not the obvious choice. Mm. It's not his half-brothers. It's his spiritual brothers. Mm. Um, and 
um, when he when they ask him who is your mother and your brother, and he he point he doesn't say the physical right. ones. He says every time he goes, so he's he's showing a new way. And so how do we do that? And how do we treat one another? Um, I found this to be really powerful working in France because when our team was just us in an area and we didn't know other, any other Christians and, and there weren't a lot, that they watched how we interacted with one another, even when we didn't know they were mm. watching, you know. And I remember some of my friends said, boy, the way they, you know, they helped me move one time and they were just amazed that, oh, these are just the guys on your team. They, they did all that. Mm. Hmm. Really? And it just, it spoke to them. They said they really care for one another. And so that automatically gave some credibility to the gospel. And I lo- and they see through us when things don't, <laughs> when we don't do that, you know, oh yeah, the gospel doesn't really hmm. work, does it? You guys can't get along. So, um, so, I mean, there's some really powerful things there about how we care for one another. And then, and in some places it's true, we have to be very creative. Uh, we have a, a family working in the immigrant communities um, in France, a couple that we knew, and they also work with a single woman. And they had an issue where the wife um, was out of the country dealing, caring for her father. And the woman, on, the single woman on the team had a huge kitchen, a link, leak in her kitchen sink and was having problems with it. What can we mm. do? And she called and told, you know, her teammate about it. And he goes, yeah, what can we do? And they talked about it. And then they actually FaceTimed the wife as well and said, what can we do? We need to get this taken care of. But we know that people watching would assume if I go over Mm. to her apartment that something's amiss. And so they just came up with the idea that how about if we have our team meeting while you fix that Mm. um, and you let me know when you're going to do it and we'll, they made it work in the time zones. And so they did their phone call and talked the whole time and he was able to take care of that. Well, the next day a lady came up to, she actually contacted the Mm. wife uh, who was overseas and said, Hey, do you know that your husband went over oh. to this, you know, this gal's apartment? And she said, yeah, I know I was there. Um, we did, we FaceTime, got a meeting. She explained the whole mm. situation and it immediately nipped the gossip in the bud and because she knew all about it and it was her idea mm. actually. And so, uh, but they figured out a way to still care for their coworker who, you know, again, just well, call someone else or have some other person that you don't even know come, that's even more risky yeah. perhaps. Um, and wait, and, and, and they could say, no, she's our sister and um, we care for her like we would our daughter mm. if she had mm. a leak in her home. You know what I mean? So, and that spoke to them because they immediately, yeah. So, so again, that's just a tiny example. I'm sure there are hundreds of other new ones. I hope as people think through this as teams and, um, just as the body of Christ figuring out how to live that out in, in tricky situations. I mean, it, we do care for one another. There's a purity issue at stake. Mm. And all of us, I mean, we're called to that too. I think Barry likes to say that there's really no big difference between him as a single man and married men. He said, as a, a single man, I'm forbidden with sexual relations with 3.5 billion women on the planet. <laughs> And he said, for a married man, it's 3.5 billion minus one, you know, so we forget we have a lot in common. We all are called to purity. And I think marriage is under fire Mm. and celibate singleness is under Mm. fire. Both, you know, 
you know, monogamous marriage and celibate singleness are both things that the world tries to ridicule or thinks is impossible. And I think all the more need why we need to live that out in a way that is healthy and shows others that it can be done and that sex is not what makes us human. Sex is not the end all that, you know, it's a wonderful thing created by God within marriage between a man and a woman. But um, but it's even even that, you know, is not the goal mm. in life um, and th- that Christ alone can fulfill all of our needs and can satisfy us. And I think because we get off in the secondary issues, sometimes we sometimes I know Christians struggle with that, too. Sometimes is that really true? Is God mm. really enough? Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me as a single that I've had to learn is that God really is enough. Mm. Jesus is enough today, even though it doesn't feel mm. like it. He really is. And and whereas I think couples get that opportunity in a bigger way to experience grace, offer grace and forgiveness even more, you know, day to day, all the time in a way that singles sometimes miss um, or don't get the same amount of opportunities. You know, again, they point to that the beauty of the bride of Christ and the, you know, the church in in Christ. And so, uh, but we point to something else and we need to live that in a way that can point that way. And we, as well as Christians, we don't believe, however good or hard, easy or hard this life is, however fulfilled or or unfulfilled uh, you are, however many smiles or tears you have, we believe in the resurrection (laughs) of the dead. We actually believe that this isn't your best life now. You know, we actually believe there's something right. far, right. far better coming, which is, which is, I love it. Paul says, you know, I strive with all of my might that I might obtain to the resurrection of the dead. Boom. That's where my eyes are, are, are pointed. That's yeah. where my arrows are pointed. Yeah. And that, and that is compelling and exciting and attractive. Mm. Um, I think, I think over the decades and, and every Every generation of Christians uh, gets it wrong in some way, but um, I think so often non-Christians see the church as this kind of like the old aunt who scolds you <laughs> and always going, you can't do this and you can't do that. And, and you know, they, they don't see the church as a source, uh, the place of light or life or truth hmm. or love. I mean, it just, it, it just, and yet there's something really big there that God's inviting them to. There's so much bigger than anything hmm. the world has to offer. Wow. And and yeah, you nailed it. It's very it yeah, it's compelling. It's but it when we don't really live that out or believe it or practice it, and it's in the hard times where we really see the fruit start yeah. to come. When you know what, our teammates are not like us. Our teammates are different. But how can we learn to love mm. one another? I mean that that's the beauty. Is it's only in the Christian church that you see people of all backgrounds. And I'm not just talking single and married, with or without children, but all ethnicities, all cultures, mm. uh, generations, you know, you see this, all the, all races. I mean, it's just all this stuff where, where only in Christ can we love one another and live together in, in unity. Mm. And the world doesn't really have any other places where that works mm. out well. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, or where they even yeah. are inclined to want to live that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a phenomenal point. Uh, I'm wondering, okay, if I could segue from there into some of the things you mm-hmm. guys talk about in the book is the kind of the, mm-hmm. at times, what can be uh, sticky relationships between men and women on teams on, in the mission field and mm-hmm. the perceived threat of single women to men. Can you talk a little bit about that and what mm-hmm. your what your research mm-hmm. came to show? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, the perceived threat, that came out, the host culture views on women, and then this this threat thing came out over and over again when it came down to policies, especially. Mm. Um, many of the single women wrote and told us, you know, missions have policies, this whole purity thing mm, I was yeah. talking about. We all want to, we all are called to, to live pure lives, okay? Nobody's out there trying to, you know, wanting yeah, to yeah, sed- seduce, get into inappropriate yeah, yeah, relationships yeah. or seducing their, their teammates or whatever. Um, so we, we, we have these protections that we want to put in place, but often, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually very healthy. However, the way in which the policy may be written or the way in which we plan to do that can come across as though the problem is the single women, mm. that they're somehow these vixens that are out to trap <laughs> all the men. And, you know, it was, it was funny. Some of, the, some of the things that we heard, you know, some of the younger women were like, we're not even interested in these 50-year-old guys that are older than our dads. I mean, you know, it's like they, they, they felt like somehow mm. all of the work was for them. You know, you women are, you know, you're, you're to be avoided or you're to be, you know, we got to be careful because these single women can cause people to fall into sin. Now, that's not at all what the policy was trying to address. Mm. The point is, and in fact, in my mission, I would say there's been more um, sexual sin um, with the married people that have had to leave them with singles. Mm. We're all at risk, okay? Regardless this, of marital the status. The idea is that the way, right, regardless of marital status, we all want the same thing to live in purity. So how are we going to protect one another? And it really comes down to how do we communicate mm. that so that it's not that this is a burden on, you know, the single woman, or I'm thinking of the divorce woman who told me that, or when she, uh, even a widow, once she lost her husband said, boy, all of a sudden I couldn't sit next to certain people at church. It was mm. like, they looked at me like I was trying to, Ooh, are you trying to come on to say, mm. you know, it was, it was just all the, before I could sit anywhere I wanted, but now I was suspect mm. because I was single. And, um, and so a lot of that can be cleaned up just in how we perceive it and how we word our policies and how we do our training and, and again, how we care for one another and, and own that all of us have to work on this, that nobody is, you know, sometimes it's the guys that really need to be pulled aside and, you know, you need to be careful here. But the, the women kind of felt, and we heard this multiple times, that they were kind of um, the at the root of the problem when, in fact, it, they, they felt it was something we all need to work on. And I would agree what with that. What about community? What about the, the, the need for single people? people to have community but also the need for families or married people to have community is there is there a difference in needs and how can we address that within teams on the field mm-hmm. yeah i think first of all remember that singles are not monolithic mm. and neither are married and wow families. what a good I mean, reminder um you know because the the idea that um there's often an idea for families assume that um, the singles need want a lot of care, will need a lot of fellowship and different things. Um, but not all singles are looking for that. They may prefer to find more of their relational community with other agencies or with other people in town. Not necessarily, they're not necessarily mm. looking on the team to fulfill that. Others expect it to be their entire yeah. family and, and fill all their needs. And I would, and I think what we noticed and in the feedback that we got, we had families who were devastated when the singles didn't really want to spend time <laughs> with them or didn't really need that much help. We had some who just assumed any single that came to the field was going to be part mm-hmm. of their family. And that was great. And it was wonderful that they opened their home in that way and assumed that they 
did think of them as part of their family, but some of them found were like, you know, I don't need that much um, time. With, <laughs> yes. you know, so it really depends on the person um, to say that every single needs more relational uh, time. Well, all of us need relationship, um, but where we want to get that and, and how we're going to seek that out, the people that we want to spend time with. Um, sometimes we overlook, I found the, the single men, this came out um, in the, the feedback, that there were um, a lot of the single guys mentioned that it was assumed when they came to the field that they kind of knew how to take care of themselves mm. and, you know, build things and put things together. And <laughs> yeah. they were sort of left uh, to their own devices and wished, some of them said, I wish I had some of the, the care that the single had. women wow, got. Interesting. Um, you know, you know, my dad didn't teach me how to install a sink or fix the electric <laughs> yeah. or, or, you know, some of these things. And I just felt helpless mm. just to even try and figure out how to set up an apartment or something. And I didn't get the, um, just because, yeah, some of those stereotypes, perhaps from our own cultures, our mm. own backgrounds, our own family histories. Um, and so, and I remember another thing, um, and this was something that um, one of the guys in our mission years ago wrote. He's, he was single at the time when he wrote this, and, and it, it's a letter from the Philippines. I'll read you, it to you. He said, um, I remember well how a fellow single missionary brother poured out his heart to me. And he said, Christmas is especially bad. That's the hardest time, he said. Once I was invited to spend Christmas with a family, but after I got there, I wished I'd never gone. I felt like they were trying to do me a favor. Mm. I felt like an intruder. And the next Christmas, I drove off in my car far away, rented a motel room, and sat there and oh, cried. Wow. And I, re I remember when I read that just being surprised because it wouldn't surprise me if a single woman wrote that. Mm. But... Um, this reminder that just because the guys, you know, we say a lot for single people when they move to the mission field, they don't bring their family mm. with them. And so holidays can be an especially difficult time. Most Christ most most singles agree on that. I would say most married people tell me that um, holidays are tough mm. on them, too, when they're first away from their families. That they, And so that's the beauty of the aunts and uncles and the families all sharing together, um, you know. Um, the spiritual family, you know, does really replace the physical family mm. overseas. And so so this is this is something we need to think about. And I think to remember that some of the guys there, um, some of the guys told us, yeah, they assume that we don't need as much fellowship. And some guys kind of don't. They're like, leave me alone. I'm good. I'm, I'd like to stay home and read tonight. <laughs> but other guys are like, please, please invite me to anything you do with your family. It just mm. depends on the mm. person. We're, we're all different extroverts, introverts. Um, we have different... Uh, relational needs at different times. And so that's the thing is to maybe be sensitive to that, to keep the door open and to be checking up on one another, seeing how we're doing. I found too that some of the loneliest people in our missions can be married mm. women or married men who aren't in leadership. Mm. Um, some of them never get invited to, or, you know, mm. it just depends on where the person is. Some people are in really tough marriages and so they're feeling very mm. lonely. Um, and so, yeah, this, this notion that everybody's the same, um, we tend to make assumptions sometimes, yeah. the singles, about married people, that they communicate all the time, that they are best friends, that they process everything together. And um, some of them do that and do that well. Others, not so much. It depends on what their marriage is like. But I can remember times getting um, a phone call from one of the couples on my team. First, the guy called me up and said, hey, Susie, wanted to see if you were free tomorrow night to come over for dinner, blah, blah, blah. And so, sure, thanks. And so I hung up. And about an hour later, 
his wife called me and asked me the same thing. And I never told her that he'd all, you know, it was like, yeah. I thought to myself, okay, clearly they didn't talk yeah, about who was going to take care right. of this. Uh, no, the irony was for me, I was thrilled that they both thought to call me, but um, the truth, yeah. I mean, this notion that communication is perfect, mm. that they're always together and they're always on the same page and is, is usually not true. And so I, I've learned to send emails. When I send an email to a couple, I write to them mm. both. I make sure they both get their own email because I don't assume they're reading they yeah, yeah. sometimes if I don't have, you know, but I mean, it's funny how we make, and that's one of the big things we talk about in the book was assumptions mm -hmm. and expectations. Those are huge and yeah. have a huge impact. I think that's true in the church world ride. We have assumptions about people, about what we think they're supposed to do, how they're going to live and what God should be doing in their lives. And we have expectations of what things are going to be like yeah. when we get somewhere. And a lot of times we don't even know that we have those things um, happening until they're not met. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, we may, we may have thought about a lot of things. And then until all of a sudden something doesn't happen the way we thought it would, all of a sudden we're really frustrated or down or disappointed and it's like why am i just you know they don't even know how they let mm. me you know it's like why why did i think this had to happen this way and so those are things that are just that's again healthy teams like i think like healthy families they talk mm. about things a lot they they don't obsess about their stuff but they they know each other well enough they're free enough to say and and they're and we draw one another out we ask questions we're interested mm. in the other person we find out if they're struggling or if they're not and you know and that's it we it's not like a checklist but we do need to be checking in with each other regularly and i i think that's what you see um in scripture with how jesus operated with the disciples you know he he was very proactive in where he was, what they were going to be doing, how they, but they checked in. They were, he knew their stories. Mm. They were all different. Their personalities were very mm. different, but he didn't say, so go off and be on your own, did he? You know, he sent them out mm. two by two. He sent them out in teams and he, and um, there's a real beautiful thing that happens uh, because we, we don't have it all. We can't do it all ourselves. And I think as a single, that's what I love about, the spiritual family is, I mean, I never imagined that I could plant a church alone mm. and I knew I needed a mm. team and I wouldn't want to try. Mm. You know, there's times, very specific times when God sends a person out for a, a single a thing, but it's, it's rarely for a long term um, heavy thing where they have to carry it all themselves. Never. Mm. Um, it's it, he, he wants us to use our gifts in community together. And there's something really beautiful when we do that um, that happens. Mm. Wow. Amen. I have two more questions or two more topics I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. what, my first question is about singles and initiative when it comes to hospitality and creating community. I found this was super interesting because I found myself in this like expectation that because I'm single, nothing is kind of expected of me. Of course, the family should invite me over. Of course, they should cook for me. You know what I mean? But uh, you guys talk about like singles <laughs> being able to create community and tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think some singles already get this and have been doing it for years, but some, like you say, a lot of times it's just, uh, some of the married people told us, frankly, uh, you know, they've offered, but it's just so much easier to do at our house. With <laughs> yeah, kids, yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, right. So, so there's that going on too, but this notion that, you know what, even if it is easier, 
it's okay to say yes when those singles come up with a creative way to invite your family mm. of five to their little place. Um, and um, we just we just got a lot of feedback on that, that yeah. And some of them said, you know, the, that they felt some of the singles just expected, like you mm. mentioned that, well, of course, um, you know, you guys should take care of me, but, but the single themselves wasn't necessarily looking for ways they could mm. serve mm. others. Even in their limited, because some of them said, to be honest, our place is tiny. I don't have near the resources they do. Um, but what could mm. you do? You know, maybe it's, oh, can I can I take the kids and have them for lunch one day so you guys can be on your and, and it's not the I've got a babysit. That's a whole nother thing. That yeah, came yeah. You know, some of them were shocked to find out that they were expected <laughs> to be free ba- babysitters. These are these are and the, the joke is now people are afraid to ask a single <laughs> if they might be able to help with the kids. And um, this is where let's keep talking to each other because, um, you know, sometimes we love to spend time with kids and other times it's just not going to work. It's not going to fit either with our schedule. So. Um, it's again those expectations and and needs and trying to figure out how can we serve one another better, and but none of us are demanding mm. that the other come through in all these mm-hmm. areas. I think I think that's where things can yeah. get off kilter when they must meet my needs or I'm out of yeah. here. You know that's not a godly that that's not depending on God. That's expecting your team to fill a void that only mm. God can do. I think all teams can do better. We need to love one another better, but we also need to offer grace mm. for those days when, you know, that family might be really struggling. That single might be really struggling. Let's cut them some slack. Mm. Um, how can we help? How can, can we keep listening to one another's hearts and hear perhaps the needs that are in between the lines of what we say? Um, sometimes we don't even know how to put them out there until people ask mm. questions. So, so yeah, I think I think it's just um, the reminder that the blind spots are on both sides, and the assumptions are on both sides. Mm. One of the games we talked about, one I think it was a team uh, that told us they did this. They actually got their people together, and they split them up in groups of singles and marrieds, and they said, um, "Tell us um, what you think the struggles mm, are." Yeah, the, you know, and what they said it was, and it was eye opening. Or what do you think the advantages are? You know, and mm. so when they shared the with the the list, the people just <laughs> laughed because it was like they were so off. Mm. It was like you really think that, you know, and it and then then they had them even do a skit later. Um, how about you do a skit about how you think the single life mm. is and what you think the married <laughs> life is, and then they they come together later and and talk about what it's really like and that can be really funny so um you know it's true there's every couple and single are different and so we have to be careful not to put people in boxes and and assume they're all the same um but but there there is a lot we can learn from one another and we may assume that they're like our own parents were and they might not be at Mm. all um and so that that's it we need to get to know each other as individuals and and again, as people in the kingdom that are our brothers and sisters, and how can we have healthy relationships with mm. them? Uh, so, so I think I think it's just a reminder that this book was never about, by the way, sacred siblings. It's valuing uh, one another for the sake of the Great Commission. And so, it's not it's not about singleness or marriage. It's about how do we do this together, and how do we care for one another? And we all have missed one another and not loved well. Mm. And so, how can we? Um, do better. And so that's why I say a lot of times, I think what happens is when we're struggling just to keep our heads above water, I'm thinking of the 
the the couple with little tiny kids that are just wondering if they were going to make it and everybody's sick all the time or i'm thinking of a single that's just down depressed and feels like nobody's ever gonna that they're doing everything alone and that they never get any help both of them are so in their own ache and pain that Mm. they can't even look to look outside of themselves and i think that's when we get into trouble unless we're really underwater we should all i think that's one of the things god calls us to do is when we're hurting when we're when it's hardest, keep reaching out and loving others. How can you move in a, even a tiny way today towards somebody yeah. else? Yes, there's all these things wrong for you, but how can you move towards someone else? And I, that's often is the thing that the best thing to do is to get us thinking outside of our own needs. And, and, I, and that's often how God will then meet us, is as we reach out to mm. others, even though we're feeling that there's some unmet desires there. The other caution thing is to remember God never said all our desires would be met in this Absolutely, world. And I don't yeah. know where we got yeah. the idea that they would and should mm. be, you know. And that's where we become such demanding mm. kind of bratty yeah. people. And we don't even feel it, you know. It's just like, why, why isn't that? You know, we can really start to get angry mm. if we don't, if we, if we start to feel like we deserve all this and, and God owes us every, he's going to meet the des- every desire of my heart. You know, that's, I've seen that verse twisted deep in a a really ugly way to where we think it it means God will give me everything I want. And that was never Mm. what it meant. Mm. Um, So that's something we can remind each other about too. It's okay to have unfulfilled desires. They're not supposed to be all fulfilled Mm. and certainly not here on earth. So uh, one day I I think we can, that'll, that'll be, that will be true that all our desires will be met and satisfied in Christ, you know? So, but for right now, actually those unmet desires can be the place of uh, much greater intimacy with God because he's longing for intimacy Mm. with us. And when we're always trying to get it met, things met in other places, we're not running Mm. to him. Mm. And so I think that that can also be a hindrance to our walk with him and Mm. with others. We don't want to engage in spiritual abuse and say the Christian life is one of self-denial, just deny yourself. But we also don't want to fall into the other side that somehow, you know, we're the children of the king, so we deserve everything. The Christian life is a life of self-denial. It is a narrow way and a hard road. Uh, But we don't, of course, we don't want to twist Mm -hmm. that uh, and beat people down with it as well. No, no, no. Yeah, but I think for some, the the notion that, you know what, even when I'm hurting, um, I'm going to trust God today that I can Mm. still ask him to show Mm. me someone who needs, who he wants me to reach Mm. out to. Yeah. Um, And it might be a tiny thing, um, but it's it's a step of faith saying, you know what, I'm not going to sit here and... Um, just sit in the ache. Mm. Sometimes we need to sit in the ache. Sometimes we never go there. Yeah, That's yeah, a whole yeah. other thing. So don't don't put words in our mouth here. But I think I think you you balance that well uh, with the way you put that. I know? think uh, my 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 next question is about uh, balancing well. I wh- the thing that most struck me from your book from your research was the, like singles feeling they need to work their, themselves into value in the organization. I'm single. I have no responsibilities. Therefore, I'm, I have to work all the time. I think I see this in myself. I see this in other single people in my org. This is a real thing. And I never thought about this before, even though I was like seeing burnout all over the place. I never connected it to like singleness before. Tell me about, uh, tell me about that. 
Yeah, I think, well, whether they had responsibilities or not, they, uh, this came out in a big way when we were, uh, when they talked about the job descriptions, and especially, obviously, a single person and the free time they have. And when I say free time, it's not just party time, but just <laughs> yeah. that they have much more, they're, they're time rich, let's They have say, access to time, Whereas, yeah. um, yes, in, in other words, and they have more freedom and control of their schedule. Yeah, 100%. They're not, they don't have to be home at a certain time to cook dinner or to make sure the kids do, are in they bed. don't have to worry about children to school all these things and uh, that, that's what you see especially with um, parents with children and so um so there is a different amount of availability mm. um that they're going to have and even for team meetings that came out this dynamic of how do we even decide when to meet as a team and there was a little story from this one lady that said she was so frustrated because they should be able to have a team uh, team meeting at 9 a.m when their kids are in school, you know, come home from that and let's start the team meeting. Whereas the singles on our team happen to be working in Spain where they have dinner like starts at 10 p.m. Yeah, and they're yeah, out till yeah. 1 a.m. And they are, they're doing, they're doing ministry. They're yeah. not just partying. Yeah. I mean, these guys, this is where they have these conversations with people. And so, so, you know, to expect them then to, to be on, that's the thing is understanding each other's time schedules and needs and what we do with that. And the other big thing that came out, as you mentioned, was, the expectation, mm. well, because you're single, you can take on this and this yeah. and this as well. All these things that we don't get to, you guys can cover because you've got more time. You've got more free time. We don't have more free time. We, we, have, we have more freedom in our schedule mm. is what it is. And so I've, I've said over and over, most of the singles I know are almost workaholics yeah. because especially um, they bond with the culture perhaps at an mm, even deeper yeah, level. Yeah. Um, and often they, and, and because for us, you know, for families, one of my teammates said this to me once, he goes, Susie, it must be hard for you because for me, I know at a certain time of day, okay, now it's family time, we have dinner, we have, and it's kind of like his day is cut into a much more organized yeah. um Okay, I do ministry here and I do, whereas for singles, I don't know where ministry stops and <laughs> and ministry begins. It, it's like, it feels like it's all the time because everything I'm involved with often outside the home. Mm. Um, I can be out late in the evening. I can accept dinner invitations that maybe they can't um, because kids have to be in bed at nine, whereas that's not a problem for me, yeah. you know? So um, it was the, the, the frustration came, I think for the singles, it's to be careful that we don't become just the workhorses or the, um, the easy that we say yes, just because we can and not maybe because we should. Mm. Um, but I think there's also a desire to use our time. We're time rich for the kingdom. Mm. And so that's a good thing. But again, we have to balance that with, am I getting rest? Mm. Am I giving a good chunk of my time to mm. God? Am I, am I having intimate moments with him? And, or am I just in a flurry of activity? It's the Mary Martha mm. thing that goes on for all of us. And so, and I think too, for singles to know when they need to say no or, also for marrieds to understand that and for us to understand marrieds are are necessarily they've got some other things they have to deal with they also have two people to do it yeah but it's still they have some they have some stressors and some situations that singles um never have to deal with and that's time taking it it's but both of them need to look at that i think with compassion for one another and say when are we getting out of hand? When are we putting too much? When do you need to take a mm. break? I mean, for me, I found as a single, it was very hard to say no to anything. 
Um, if there was a team meeting and I got out of bed feeling horrible, I would go mm. anyway. And I remember the day when I got there and I was the only woman there, all of the guys around the room said, oh, I'm sorry, my wife couldn't come. She wasn't feeling well or, oh, she mm. had too much. And, and I was sitting there going, why did I drag wow. myself out yeah. of bed? I should Because I don't give myself permission yeah. just to, because I don't have someone saying, you need to stay in yeah. bed. Here. You know, yeah, it's yeah. Like, that's the, you know, so I think sometimes because we don't have that, if we have a roommate or something, that might help. But not all of us have that. And um, it's not always even a good idea depending on where we live. For, But it's just, I think it's things like mm. that. We need help mm. with that sometimes. And so a lot of mission agencies are looking at how they write their job descriptions and being sure that they understand that, yes, while a single may be free and able to respond to something, they also have a home to care for supporters to take mm. um, time with, you know, writing and let prayer letters and, and, and all the domestic and administrative stuff they have to do often by themselves. And so how do we create grace for each other and, and, and plan around that and, and write that into the, the job descriptions? Either. Do you have, yeah, amen, amen to that. And I think you speak with such a kind, like such kindness uh, in your voice and in your tone when you say these things. And I'm very thankful for that. Do you have any, do you have any recommendations or suggestions for singles who maybe feel overworked, who feel... I know as well, I, I think you guys talked about in your research, just sometimes even taking a break as a single is harder. Who do I travel with, you know? Who do I, who do I take a break? Who do I vacation with, yeah. you know? Like, do you have any True. recommendations yeah. for singles who are feeling overworked and don't know what to do about it? The first thing is just asking that question, um, I think they need to pull back and, and maybe um, incorporate some Sabbath time mm. in their schedule. Some, I, had to, I had to be very intentional about putting a big X mm. each week or it would just uh, on a day or two or it would totally get eaten mm. up because there was always something. Mm. And early on, I would say yes to anything because it was like, well, these are non-believers, and if I may be the only Christian they ever meet, <laughs> yeah. and so, oh, I can't possibly say no. I, I took on things that I don't think God ever intended, just because I felt like I couldn't say no because somehow in God's timetable, it, you know, it, it was funny because a friend said to me, "Well, why do you always say yes to these people?" And again, I said, "Well, because this might be their only mm. chance." And she said, "Well." They need rest too, and you do too. I mean, they're still around next week if you <laughs> yeah. say no. Um, and that I was almost too available. Mm. That was another thing early on because I always, if it was a non-Christian especially, mm. I was always available. And and this friend said to me, you know, they don't really need God as long as they've got you mm. on call all the time. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I actually started call screening because there were certain people I knew it was really hard to say no to until I, because they would just, well, why? And, you know, it, it was almost easier just to say yes, mm. because they wouldn't leave you alone. Was, you had to have a good excuse, you know. And so uh, by call screening, I found ways to, okay, I can think about what they've asked of me, look at my schedule pray about it and then get back to them with what'll work for me that will also, you know, answer without necessarily just, well, every, otherwise it's the tyranny of the mm. moment that just is drawing everything. Mm. And so not everybody's in that same place. Um, I also felt like I needed permission, as I mentioned, and that was something I had to really talk to God mm. about and say, Lord, will you show me when I can say no? Will you put this in my, you know, because I'm not used to doing that. Um, now, I there's other people who are very good at this, so good that they almost never 
they don't ever they stay on the other yeah. side of you know i'll only do what i you know to so we need a healthy balance there of when are we being selfish with our time when are we really being attentive and listening to the spirit for the things he wants us to do and for me i also had to learn to say no meant by saying no to things that god was asking me to say no to it freed me up to be able to say yes to those last minute mm. spontaneous things where he goes susie i need mm. you to go over here and i wouldn't have been free if i'd filled if i let my calendar say as full and every yeah. day say as packed as i used to and so so it's actually good to pull back and and learn that again some people have learned it earlier um, i think our younger generation are are a little better at this, you know, pulling back and saying, I've, I've, I need a break. I need a, um, so some of that's generational, um, but, but we need to help each other on that. And I think when we see people who are kind of overwhelmed or overworked, we need to step in and say, how can we help? What needs to give? Um, and sometimes it's also, there's so many new opportunities. And as ministry grows, your opportunities just multiply like mushrooms, mm. you know. And and so um, saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, you're asking this new thing of me. What do I need to give up? So that, because sometimes we just never give up. We keep doing all the stuff we were doing. And, and then, then we, we add in more. all these new yeah. hats that we've been asked to wear. Yeah. So, I mean, has that ever been your problem? I mean, trust, it, mm. it does over time. Mm. I think the longer you're on the mission field, the more responsibility you'll be given. But what are you going to then stop doing? Mm. And it, and so there are some things that we may need to turn mm. over to other people or stop. Or we may say yes, but with our qualifications of yes, but I will only do this for two years. Or yes, I will. But yes, but I mm. can or I can't do this, but I could help you with this part mm. of it. Um, so, you know, not assuming that it's all just a yes or no, but well talk to the Lord about it. And I find like he really helps me with that when I ask him about that. And I also sometimes have to ask him to run interference for mm. me when I just <laughs> don't know what to let go of. And then I'll find out, oh, something got canceled. And I'm just like, thank, thank you, Lord. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was looking yeah. forward to it, but yeah. hey, it got canceled. Now I know yeah. I don't have to, I don't even have to, uh, but because he knows there's some things that are hard for me to let go mm. of because I see the importance of them. And so sometimes he'll just take it off mm. my plate. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm happy with that. There's this interesting verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and Paul, Paul leaves uh, Corinth, wherever he left, I don't know where he left, and he goes to Torah, Troas mm -hmm. uh, to preach the gospel, and it says God is just opening up so many doors. But Paul wasn't happy, so he just left. <laughs> you know, He's like, God opened up so many doors, <laughs> but actually I left. You know, I, I just went, I went to Macedonia. Uh -huh. And I think sometimes it's okay. Like, sometimes it's okay to say yeah. no, isn't it? Yes. But those are tricky mm. things to know. You know, sometimes it's no, I'm not going to pick up any calls, no matter who mm. it is, because I'm trying. Maybe I, um, and, and, you know, how do we plan those Sabbath times? Can we get away from, uh, I, I know a lot of people now, young and old, both generations that are almost addicted to their cell phones and <laughs> even, you know, can we, can we put them down? Can we put them away? Can we turn off the sound or even mm. the beeps or whatever to where they're not distracting us because we are so easily distracted mm. and there's, we're on information overload a lot of the time. Um, there's a lot of good things that some of those things have given us, but it can create, I think, a space where we never have time to pull mm. back and say, Lord, I need to be quiet. I need to listen. I need to just rest. Um, look at Isaiah, uh, not Isaiah, Elijah. Um, what, you know, when, when, when he comes away from this 
incredible time. Yeah. He's so wiped yeah. out and burned out. And I don't know about you, but I have found this to be the case that on the right on the heels of great victories, mm. you almost hit the low. You know, it's like that's when I am so wiped mm. out and tired because of all that it took, you mm. know, to get through that. And then that's when I often, when the enemy can get me down the most, you know, and I, I need to really pull away and pull into mm. God, you know, as opposed to just, and, and do I know how to rest mm. well? That's another struggle mm. for a lot well, of singles. Absolutely. I, actually, I, I know some married people that struggle with that too. How do we rest well? How do we pull away and not just binge? On, that, whatever, on Netflix, TV, which doesn't, which know, doesn't you, restore the soul. <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, and for me, I can just turn it on uh, TV in the background. I don't do Netflix so much, but just have it in the background. Like, oh, maybe there's mm. something else. But it never, it never really. Sometimes I just need quiet, or to put maybe some music on mm. instead. Some music that's full of that's worshipful, mm. or that's 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 restful. Mm. Um, and that's the thing. Learning what those are for each person is different. And um, you know, I, I love to just pull away and read, but sometimes I'm so tired I can't even keep my eyes open to read the book. So what then do I need? Sometimes I just need to go to bed <laughs> early, right? right? Um, or just, um, but I mean, those are all good questions. I would say too, another little tip, um, depending on where people are in the world, we have a website with Shoulder to Shoulder, which is the group that's trying to help mm. missions think about these things more deeply. And we have a lot of people on our staff um, who have experience with this. And there's some good, um, there's some resources on our webpage and things like mm. that, that might be helpful. Sometimes, you know, it's just finding some other people that are like, that are in your same boat. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and the thing about vacations and stuff that that's a tricky one, finding the right kind of people to travel with. I, I've had some great times with people and other times I'm like, man, that was more work. Than <laughs> sometimes the person yeah. you're vacationing with, um, I have a dear friend who's quite an adventurer and she always wants to go and do something really exciting and big. And I'm like, let's just go to a cafe. I'm and ready re to rest. I mean. I, I, like, can we just, yeah. Can we go get a tea and then maybe walk on the beach? But no, she, yeah, she wants to. actually some of the stuff she likes. I, I enjoy too, but it, it depends on where you're at. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, this will be a vacation. I want to do all that. But this one is like, no man, I am burned yeah. out. I need some time yeah. alone. I need, um, I need a few sleep-ins and pajama days. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes that's, sometimes that is what can restore our souls. Yeah. You know, um, I remember reading about a doctor in India for 50 years or something. She was in her eighties and she did a lot about member care and caring for the soul later in life. And someone asked her, so what do you do after you've been doing all this traveling and all these work and conferences and blah, blah, blah. And she just said, well, I have to have a pajama day every now and then. You know? <laughs> and, and when she said that, I went, oh, that's brilliant. She says, I'll even go out and get my newspaper off the porch. In my pajamas, yeah. <laughs> I think she was in England yeah. or something. Yeah, and she just said, but the idea is I'm not going anywhere. Mm. I'm not answering mm. the door. I'm not answering the phone. I'm just going to, you know, chill. Mm. And and I, I sometimes have to do that, and I find – it's not always, it, it can be, it's sometimes I just need the break from all the activity. Yeah. And so that's a good thing. But there's something about when you stay in your pajamas, you are not planning to be involved in anything. You're not getting ready for an activity. You're not, mm -hmm. you know, and so that can be helpful. But sometimes it may mean taking, um, do, doing some uh, social media fasting or um, like we mentioned, TV fasting mm -hmm. or other fasts. I mean, just mm -hmm. there's all kinds of things that maybe we, 
our go-tos, mm. um, which ones are restorative and which ones just make us feel even mm. more drained. And we need to just be smart about that and, and, and find other people that you can maybe be accountable to and, and help us. Cause sometimes other people can see things or do, you know, think of mm. things that we wouldn't. So that's where community, you know, that we were created for it. And even if you live alone, you need to invite people into that if you're struggling. Amen to that. Now you know why I was so excited about this conversation. Well, I hope you really enjoyed the program today. Don't forget the promo link in the show notes and also on the website pmpod.org. This will give you 25% off the book Sacred Siblings, Valuing One Another for the Great Commission. Also, I'm going to add a link to the website oneanother.com. Susie is a part of this organization and she's one of the presenters and they talk about singleness, sexuality, and marriage in the context of missions and the theology and application of those things in cross-cultural missions. So I think you're really going to profit from that. So go there to oneanother.com. And again, those all those links will be in the show notes and on the website pmpod.org. Thanks for listening. And as I close, I just want to remind you that it's okay to be normal.